Hi, church. Welcome again to our midweek devotional refresh. I'm thinking about that uh, picture behind me. The weather, she's a changing. Pretty soon we'll have to have a different image than that nice uh, cup of lemonade. We'll have to have people sitting by a fireplace or something. But it's good to have you with us. Close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. This is part 18. We're about midway through chapter 10. Hope you get a Bible. We'll study together. There's two things we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at uh, Jesus' teaching on children and the kingdom of God and a servant's heart. And then the second instance that Mark deals with is this rich man who comes wanting to follow Jesus. So those are the two episodes that we're going to be studying from Mark chapter 10. So Mark 10, 13 through 16. Point number one, children in the kingdom of God. Mark writes, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. They rebuked not the children, but the parents bringing the children. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So he's talking about how we receive the kingdom of God. If you don't do it like a child, shall not enter it. 16, and he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let me go over about four things out of this incident. Clearly, the disciples hadn't grasped the teaching of Jesus. He had just said to them in Mark 9, 35 to 37, and he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. So he uses this child as a teaching point, sets the child in the middle of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You, you're, when you deal with Jesus, you're receiving God himself. What is Jesus doing with these children? He's not saying children are perfect or they aren't conceived in sin. We know that. But Jesus, he wants his disciples to understand that people aren't made big just by finding big things to do. There's a, there's a fallen concept of importance. People are made big by big ministries, even in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has already said, 941, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And so as Jesus, he sees his disciples rebuking these parents for bringing children. That wasn't important. Wasn't that significant? Not that big a deal. And so he realizes the need for this uh, further teaching on the nature of the kingdom of God. People aren't made great by having large ministries. People are made great by serving people who can't bring reward, by remembering the least, by bringing a servant's heart to small ministries. 
B. It's important that the things of God get an early start in human lives. I think that's important, where Jesus talks about receiving, receiving the things of the kingdom, kingdom life, his teaching, his words, his, the life of the Spirit. That things need an early start. It's easier, it's easier to receive things freshly than to have to rebuke and correct and make a whole bunch of changes. Um, the things of God are the easiest to embrace and the easiest to incorporate into our lives at the beginning when we first hear them, when we first perceive them. Then after life gets hardened with pride and ambition and self-centeredness, See, even adults must respond to Jesus as children do. Jesus isn't saying children are perfect. That's not the point. But they are shapeable. They are impressionable. And if Jesus can get a hold of all of our hearts before they get hardened into patterns of sin that are that are driven by ambition, driven by pride, driven by self-centeredness. If Jesus can get a hold of our hearts before bad influences corrupt them, if he can keep repentance, we had a whole series on repentance, if he can keep that fresh and early and quick in our hearts, so much the better. The second thing that Jesus talks about here is, is the rich man who came to follow him. It's in Mark 10, 17 to 31. Listen to the, the account as Mark kind of paints this picture for us. And as he was setting out on his journey, that's Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And he doesn't start with the first commandment. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And, and it's like this rich man interrupts Jesus. He said to him, teacher, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, 21, looking at him, loved him. <laughs> And said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. He had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 24. The disciples were amazed at his words. I mean, then and now, wealth, power, position, those are things of significance. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And again, 26, they were exceedingly astonished 
and said to him, well, then who can be saved? If not the, the rich, the influential, the people who are successful, the sharp people, if they can't get in, then who can get in? 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it, it is impossible, but not with God. And we should all be grateful for that. For all things are possible with God. 28. Peter, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything to follow you. So he's saying, see what this rich man wouldn't do? We, we've done that. Pretty proud. 29. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and last first that last 31st verse the disciples are shocked if the rich can't, if the rich and the successful and the sharp, if, if they can't make it, then, well, then what hope is there for anyone? And that's where Jesus says, many who are first will be last, last will be first. I have three or four things I want to just pull out of this account. There's this, first, there's this very revealing telltale request in 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, knelt before him, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the question comes from a man who feels he's been doing, he's been doing all the right things. He says he's been keeping all the rules since he was a child, all the old covenant laws. He's, he's moral. But he still senses he lacks something. That's why he comes to Jesus in the first place. This comes out even more strongly in, in Matthew's account of the same incident where the man says, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He admits there's an emptiness. There's something that's not working in his heart, in his life. And so, so good works, they, they have a place as the fruit of conversion, but no one is going to no one will receive kingdom life from Jesus just by keeping the regulations of the Old Covenant. That's a very significant point because it's amplified through the rest of the New Testament. B, notice how Jesus points out who he is in that 18th verse. Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? Do you understand why you're saying what you're saying? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, so as long as this young ruler views Jesus as merely another good teacher, he is on the wrong track. Then if Jesus is a great teacher, then all Jesus can give is more rules. He's already got all the rules he needs and they're not filling up his life. Matthew says this man still lacks something. And that's what Jesus is pointing out with that question. What are you seeking in Jesus? A lot of people think he's just a good moral teacher, a prophet. Many religions in this world think of Jesus as a prophet, comes with more rules, more systems, more regulations, more good teachings, more philosophy. Is that what you're looking for? That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. See, look at Jesus' strange request. It's in 19 to 21, where Jesus says, you know the commandments. 
do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud your father and mother. And he, the rich man, he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. The old King James says, has compassion on him. And said to him, you lack, you lack one thing. Matthew says, the man admitted, what do I still lack? He admits lacking. And now Jesus is going to put his finger on what this man lacks. You lack one thing, 21. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. It's interesting how Jesus, he's, he has compassion, he loves the man, but he's revealing something to this man. See, the man said, he, he goes, Jesus doesn't go to the first, the first four commandments dealing with my relationship with God. He goes right to the, the ethical demands in the Ten Commandments that set up the terms of the social relationships, people with people, morality, horizontal morality. And the ruler says, well, I've kept all those since I was a child. Clearly, he hasn't. I mean, if this rich ruler, if he loved his neighbor as much as he loved himself, he would have no trouble giving his wealth away. He doesn't love his neighbor as much as he thinks because he doesn't want to part with it. And now we're ready to see the purpose of Jesus' hard command in, in 21. It, it kind of cuts to the heart of this man's blind self-righteousness and disillusionment. Luke talks about the same thing. Luke 9, 23, 24. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Most of us can feel pretty righteous if it's just a matter of not stealing and not bearing false witness and not committing adultery. We can take those commandments. We're not quite as righteous as we think. Jesus points that out. This guy's not willing to give his wealth away. But most of us can look at those commandments and, and feel pretty content, not that desperately sinful, And then you realize that the way Matthew talks about the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, 36 and 37. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And so as long as you're just going to pick certain commandments like this rich man does, about not stealing and not committing adultery and th those kinds of things. There's a, there's a series of them there. You, you can feel pretty content with your righteousness. A lot of people are like that today, even in the church. We don't, we don't really feel that conscious of sin in some of those areas. But, but, but has there been, in my heart and mind, in yours, has there been... Five minutes this week where I didn't consciously love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all of a sudden, the fallenness, the fallenness of the heart just starts to manifest itself. 
the self-absorbedness. D, look at another thought here. Small measures will be ineffective in dealing with uh, the self-rule, the self-centeredness of our hearts. Even if we can keep some ethical commands, there's a drastic work that needs doing. Look at, look at Mark 10, 22 to 27. So Jesus just said, go, sell what you have, and then come follow me. 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Okay, and now Jesus isn't talking to this rich man. Now Jesus, he looks around and he says to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, he's, he's still on this, children. Is he trying to reinforce something that he's just taught? Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now you have to ask yourself, Jesus didn't say this to everyone who came to him. You have to ask yourself, why did Jesus make this stern demand on this rich person? And, and, and the demand is stern if you look at it the way this rich person looked at it. The demand is stern if you look at what Jesus is taking away from the man and not at what Jesus is trying to give to the man. Jesus, Jesus calls for these drastic measures in this man, this rich man, because, well, because frankly, materialism, it might be, it might be the sin, the North American sin, and it gets such deep roots in our hearts that tiny measures won't, won't deal with it. Th this is where, you know, Jesus had those, those words in Mark 9, uh, I think around 42, where he said, if, if your hand, if it causes you to sin, chop it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That, that sometimes uh, small measures are going to be ineffective in removing cherished idols from our hearts. E, I wanted to close with this because I like this principle. Look at Jesus' promise of reward. It's in 28 to 31. Peter began to say to him, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one, no one who has left house, Brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands, for my sake and for the gospel. So it's not just while Jesus is here. For the gospel, the spreading of the gospel. 30, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life.
there's such a, whenever, whenever Jesus deals with my heart, calling me away from some area of uh, neglect, compromise, materialism, self-centeredness, pride. Whenever Jesus speaks to Don Horbin and, and says, I, I, enough of that. Leave that. I want you coming here. This is, these are my words. This is my will. This is my way. Leave that and come to this. If all I look at is this, what I have to leave. What I have to refuse. What I have to reject. If all I focus on is that, then Jesus' call, his kingdom call to my heart is always going to look uh, hard restrictive, binding, taking the joy out of my life. If all I look at is what I have to leave instead of what he wants to usher me into, his words will always seem unreasonable. And so, so every time, here's Peter. Every time Jesus speaks, you can look at all the things. Jesus, we've left this, we've left that, we've left that. And Jesus points to him about all the things he wants to bring into Peter's life and eternal life. And I think that's one of the greatest lessons in this passage. The rich young ruler, the rich, the rich man that comes to Jesus. It's called different in different accounts. But this rich man who comes to Jesus. When Jesus says, sell what you have, leave it. Follow me. All he can see is what he has to give up. Peter's going down the same road. And Jesus would say to Peter, disciples, to me, and to Cedarview Community Church, he would say, whenever I call you into anything, what you have to leave only looks restrictive if you don't focus on what I want to bring you into. And what I want to build into your life. And so that's really what that, that rich man's story is all about in that account. There will be things, there'll be persecution, Jesus said, and there will be things that I will have to edit and delete, crucify. I have to do that every day, apparently, taking out my cross every day. But there's so much more he wants to bring my life into. And Jesus would say, keep your eyes focused on the goal. Keep your eyes focused on what I want to usher into your life. That call always brings far more than it costs. But you, but you have to see that in advance. You have to see that by faith. You have to trust. Take whatever steps you have to take to immediately yield to the will and way of the Lord and his spirit in your life. That's a good lesson from Mark's gospel. Let's pray. We thank you for uh, these accounts. We thank you for the reminder that childlikeness, not childishness, childlikeness, the shapeability, the fresh early start of things, the desire to serve without pride of place, 
so many things to learn from that. And then, Father, that whenever you call us to give up anything, it's only to make room for something much more precious. And so just allow your word to, to work like, like seed, to get into the soil of our hearts, to grow, to thrive, to bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold as we press in and follow you in these strange times. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Sunday morning, right here at, uh, at 10 o'clock in the church and live streaming at, at, at 10 o'clock. Keeping your joy, the heartfelt theology of an isolated prisoner. Two or three more in that series. Sunday night at, uh, at 6.30, we're back in Romans, finishing up the book of Romans, our prayer time together. God bless you, church. Stay in the word and love one another.